Hey everybody, I'm Pat Hollander and welcome to the podcast. This is a particularly interesting episode because my guest was Brian Ritchie and Brian runs the Idea Center. Um, When I first started this podcast, uh, he was definitely one of the first people that I thought of as people that um, I'd like to have on the podcast as a guest. Um, Mainly because, you know, when you think about entrepreneurship at Notre Dame and uh, you think about the Idea Center in general, Brian's sort of the first person that comes to mind. Um, so this is really exciting for me that I was able to have him on the podcast and we had a really cool conversation and I, I think everyone's going to enjoy it a lot. Um, just a little bit of background on Brian. Um, his official position is first, he's the first ever vice president and associate provost for innovation at Notre Dame. So he sits on the president's leadership council, which is, um, essentially father Jenkins council that, um, kind of leads the university and, and runs the university. So, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, his major responsibilities as head of the Idea Center is basically to run um, Innovation Park, which is Notre Dame's commercialization enterprise, which helps researchers basically bring their discoveries to market um, and kind of gives students like me the chance to do entrepreneurship, whether that's through you know, starting a company or, or starting a podcast or, or what have you. Uh, prior to coming to Notre Dame, Brian was a co-founder at a venture capital firm called Growth Sport. And before that, he was um, at the University of Utah, where he spent four years directing technology commercialization. Uh, Prior to Utah, Brian, from 2001 to 2011, was a professor at Michigan State, where he taught political economy and entrepreneurship. Brian is a graduate of UNLV and holds an MBA from BYU and a PhD in political economy from Emory. I really enjoyed this conversation. Special thanks to Karen Deke for kind of helping me set this up and kind of supporting me along the way. Uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, yeah, it goes on. We do it on um, like Apple and on Spotify, so that's been cool. good. And like, it's it's pretty cool that you can just like put it on there. Like, you don't have to be yeah, like. Yeah. It's cool that Apple lets you do that. Like, you yeah, don't have yeah. to be anybody anybody special or anything to kind of get a podcast up. So that's, that's cool. Pretty cool. Super cool. So um, we got Brian Ritchie on the podcast. Um, Brian's the head of the Idea Center. Obviously, this is pretty cool to have you. It's uh, really appreciate you kind of taking I'm the happy time to be, to, here. Yeah. to be on the podcast. So, Absolutely. So tell me about um, your role at the Idea Center right now, kind of how you ended up here in, in this particular role. It's very unique. It's kind of like this innovative thing. And I remember when I was a freshman, it was kind of early days of the Idea Center. And yeah. I would hear about like, oh, you know, I was I was always interested in entrepreneurship. I ran like a few of my own food businesses and not like in my dorm. Right. And people would say, oh, you got to go over to the Idea Center and see what Brian Ritchie's doing over there. So I kind of, it was like hearsay, hearing about you and what was going on here. Yeah. So it's cool to now kind of be here. So tell me about how you ended up doing this. Oh, it's a, a, a so we have a, this podcast is three days long, right? <laughs> um, the, uh, the interesting part about this is that, and this will probably have some, uh, impact on you and kind of the things you're thinking about now that you're about ready to graduate. But but my career is not something that I planned. It, it was very much something I followed. And I'll just tell you a funny story. I was uh, I've, I was sitting around the uh, kitchen table one night with my wife, and she she was actually just complaining about the lack of time that I was spending at home. And so she wanted me to spend more time. But the way she did it was to say, you know, look, you've had so many things in your life that you've done. You've been an executive big company. You've started new companies and sold them. You know, you've been a consultant. You're now a full professor. 
and you're sort of not good at any of it. <laughs> her, her point was not to really uh, hammer on me as much as it was to just ask, you know, look, are you going to focus in any of those areas? I mean, what, what, what do you really want to do when you grow up? And, uh, and, and my comment was, well, I like so many different things. And, and that's, that's served me well because it's given me a big background in a lot of areas. So then I fast forward six months and I was at the University of Utah leading their commercialization office. And I had a young graduate student come in and she said, Dr. Ritchie, your career path is brilliant. How did you choose this? How did you know that you would need big company experience and small company experience and professor experience and consulting experience? Yeah. And, and, you know, the answer is there was no way to know. I mean, the truth is, is that the position that we're in now, that I was in at Utah now that I'm here in at Notre Dame, is is new. It, it's something that's bringing in a lot of different things from a lot of places. You know, I work with partners from big companies and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists from startups. And I have to work with the faculty and the students in an academic environment. And then we have to work with the community in ways that really feel like consulting. And so... I'm fortunate that all of the, that, those skills that seemed so weirdly disconnected to my wife are now very useful in the job that I'm in. And uh, so this is a great fit for me because of that background. And I really enjoy building stuff. So, yeah. so being able to work on all of these companies and run a venture fund and work with students and do intellectual property and work with partners is all about at the focal point us building new companies and building new technologies and getting technologies out and into the marketplace, having an impact, right, which really fits at the core of Notre Dame's mission. And so that's why I'm here, and I think that's what's cool. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. And that's that seems more and more common nowadays is people with these diverse backgrounds coming into roles that it kind of benefits them to not be people who have one specific set of skills, but sort of a they're, they have a knack for picking things up quickly and learning quickly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the research, the academic research, is actually showing that there are returns to both directions, right? So in other words, if you said, well, I'm going to really dive on this one thing. I'm going to be the best computer programmer there is, period. That there's actually a big return to that yeah. financially, right? But there's also, and this is less appreciated, there's also a return to this generalist who has a wide range of knowledge, who can speak to the computer scientist, but can also speak to the humanist, can also have IQ and EQ, right? Can work with a broad range of people. That's also valuable. So it's kind of interesting the way that's headed. It is pretty interesting. What were, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, as a, a college senior now, what was Brian Ritchie like? in college what, what, what oh, you know I, I saw in your bio you went to UNLV yeah you know kind of paint a picture for me is is where you are now does it make sense relative to oh where my you were gosh then, no I was like so first of all how I even got to UNLV I, I was actually started at the University of Utah I actually started at Brigham Young which are both better schools than UNLV can I say that out loud <laughs> sure, I mean yeah, you know yeah. so um <clears throat> the, the reason I went to UNLV was because I had this chance to um, start a company down in Las Vegas. It was really a division for another company, but I, they let me run it. I mean, I'm 22, 23, you know, whatever. And so I'm down there running this company. It didn't really work very well. I'm sure some of that was my fault. But, but for whatever reason, it shut down. I'm a junior in college. And I'm like, oh, crap, what am I going to do now, you know? And I had taught myself how to build computers. And so I was just building computers and selling them. And I had a woman come and, and buy. I, I only had one available. She bought the one. And then she came back a couple of days later and she said, that was awesome. I'd like 30. 
Wow. And I'm okay. like, I'm like, look, you got to understand, <laughs> sister. I'm I'm a junior in college. I got no money. And she said, no worries. I'll front you the costs to build the computers. You build them. And once they're done, I'll pay you the profit. Right. Yeah. So so that started my first company. I'm a junior in, in college. And it was one of those things. I had no idea what I was doing. I built computers. And then, you know, she said, can you do database programming? And I'm like, sure. I'd never seen database code in my life. I, right. you know, I knew how to do Pascal and C. And so I figured it out and worked in the database programming side. And she's like, can you link our Unix system with our, you know, NetWare system? I'm like, sure. I'd never seen either before in my <laughs> life. Right. So two in the morning, I'm trying to figure, reading books, I'm trying to figure this all out. We figured it out. And it was just one of those things on to the next thing. And, you know, again, I'm this junior in college, and so I'm, I'm all over the place. I can remember pulling twisted pair of wire in the ceilings at 2 in the morning before a test the next day, yeah. trying to get a network up and running and uh, not having a clue what I was doing. In fact, I pulled unshielded twisted pair all over a building. And when I got done, read in the manual that it needed to be shielded twisted pair. So then I had to re-pull all oh. the wire. It was that kind of learning yeah, experience, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, but that that company grew like a weed. I mean, you know, by the time I was done in my junior year, I think we had a million, over a million dollars in sales. And, and uh, this goes to show you how naive I was. At the end of my senior year, I sold it to my partner because I thought I I was going to graduate school. I, and I did eventually go back and get my MBA. But I think back now, I'm like, man, what if I had just run that company? Maybe I'd be Michael Dell. You know? <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's pretty funny. So that was so me as a college. I first of all, even being at UNLV, I you know I was there for the because I just happened to be in that city. I never thought I would go to graduate school. Never thought I'd get a PhD. Never saw myself in that role. So it's just interesting how much my life has kind of unfolded as it's gone. It's not. It's not been something I've really planned. In fact, all of my plans, you know, have just gone out the window. They've been something completely different. Yeah, it seems sort of it seems sort of odd that you're this creative sort of um, almost like chaotic person in your senior year of college. You're, you're learning on the fly. You're doing these crazy projects, and yet now you're a PhD. Like my yeah. understanding of PhD programs in grad school and a lot of academia is that it's very structured and sort of. The path is really well defined. Yeah. How did you? How did you have, you know, such a, a strong capability for being creative and thinking outside the box on the one hand, but then also you're very successful in academia. How have you? That's a great question. I don't know. I have a great answer other than when I, uh, after being in the computer industry for about ten years, um, and in my second and third startups, and then working with other companies, I took a buyout, and um, was basically sitting with you know, some resources, but not knowing what to do next. And so I said, you know, what do I really want to do in my life? And I thought, you know, I've sold a lot of software. I've built some companies. I'd, I think maybe I'd really like to teach. Hmm. I think maybe I could be a good teacher. Yeah. I, that was really, and, and what am I going to need to be a good teacher? Well, I need, I can't teach in college without a PhD. So right. I was pretty old. I mean, I, I think I started my PhD when I was, I want to say 30. I think I was 30 when I started my PhD. Uh, now, I got through that PhD program faster than almost any other person ever did. I got through in three and a half years, and the average was seven years. But it was because my wife was highly motivating me yeah. <laughs> to not be <laughs> getting my PhD. So um, so then I you know, got my PhD, and yeah, it is very structured. And there were times I'm like, what am I doing? Right. You know I mean, um, but I really enjoyed teaching. I really enjoyed the classroom. I enjoyed working with students, smart kids like you that really push you to think in new ways and 
and really, you know, are exciting to be around. I loved that uh, in academia. So I realized at that point in time that whatever I did going forward, academia would be a part of it in some way because I loved working with the students. I loved working in that environment. Um, but yeah, it was a little restrictive. And so as soon as I got done, you know, I started building all kinds of programs. I built the entrepreneurship program in Michigan State. I built the, helped build the bioeconomy program there. I have two patents in biomass processing. I mean, that just tells you how <laughs> schizophrenic I am, right? I got my degrees in international relations and computer science. Wow. And I have patents in biomass processing. So I'm the kind of person who just like puts my mind on something, loves to learn as much as I can about it, get deep into it, add value, and then I kind of am done and moving on to the next thing. So this job I'm at now fits me perfectly because I can work hard on a company and get it up and then I can go off and work on another company, right? And then on another company. Yeah. So it, it's a great fit for my ADD. Yeah, it seems like you're just, you're very curious. You yeah, very curious, love to build stuff. It. Is that, do you think if you were to kind of identify one common thread throughout all of the the different things that you've been successful at, is that sort of the thing you'd pick out? Is there any, I guess, habit or attribute that you've had that's allowed you to pick up, you know, biomass processing <laughs> and international relations and have success at all of it? Yeah, you know, there are upsides and downsides to this. And, and I think this is true with everybody. I think our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses, right? So I think it's a real strength that I can pick up a lot of different things and get good at them, right? Yeah. And have this generalist approach and it gives me a lot of experience. I think that's a big strength. The weakness of that is, is that focus is hard for me, mm -hmm. right? And so I get, if I'm not careful... I'll start something and leave it before it's finished, which is a really downside. So what I've had to do is I've had to discipline myself around execution and the, and the role of execution in my life, accountability and getting things done through a process. And this leads me to kind of how I see the world around leadership. Um, you know, leadership really is in its very simplest forms is that someone is willing to go where you'll where you want them to go. Right. So if I'm leading the idea center, all of these 40 people and 150 students have to agree to go to where with, with me where I want to go. So I have to paint a vision and where we want to what we want to accomplish. And that vision for us is we want to be a best we want to be the best place at commercialization in the world. Mm -hmm. We want when people say, where do you go to commercialize new technologies, products, intellectual property? They say, we go to Notre Dame, right? I mean, that's the best place in the world. That's our vision. And I have to convince all of these people out here that we can get there and you should go there. Then we have to create a process to get there. And that process really is all about accountability and direction and execution. And so I have to overlay on top of my ADD a very rigorous process. And that process is an accountability process that says, here's where we are today, here's where we want to be tomorrow, here's where we want to be at the end of the year, and that X to Y, here's how we're going to get there. And then we have to hold ourselves accountable to get there. And if we do that, then we accomplish great things. And then we move on to the next thing, right? Right. So I have to hold myself accountable to that thing to say, okay, can't do anything else until we get there. Now, there may be a lot of things in there that we also need to do. I need to build a fund. I need to build a process. We need to build a team. We need to connect with you know outside stakeholders. All those are steps in that process that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to. But it always has to be to that vision of what we're trying to accomplish. So I've learned over time that it's not enough to just scatter myself all over the place. I, I'm only one person. I can only do so much. 
it's okay that I have a generalist background, but I have to apply it to something, and then I have to put a process on it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that was that was super interesting. I think yeah. that's really cool. I think it's interesting to hear kind of how people think about, I guess, discipline and organization, because that's something that everybody has to think about. How do yeah. I get tasks done yeah. each and every day? How do I organize my thinking even? I'll tell you how far we've gone on this, actually, which um, some people out there might find interesting. Um, most organizations hold their people accountable once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. You know, They'll do a yearly review or a biannual review. Um, we have what we call a game review every seven days. So every seven days we get together as a team and say, here's what I said I'd do last week. Here's what I actually did. Here's what I'm going to do yep. next week. And here's what my scoreboard looks like yeah. so that we can chart progress every seven days. So it's never a surprise, right? I mean, and there's never, it's fully transparent. There's never a time when someone says, hey, I wonder what Brian's doing. Or I wonder how well Brian's doing on his goals. We know exactly where we are. So that last year we wanted to do 30 startups, right? That was our goal. We got to 29. We knew exactly where we were at every step along the way. Now, you might say, well, you didn't hit your goal. Okay, true. And we hit 29 out of 30. But, but, but you know, how many universities are doing 30 startups? Virtually zero, you know? Right. So yeah. it's, uh, that's how we get there. And we do that in that way every seven days we hold ourselves accountable. Yeah, I have that. I have that in business development. Um, we have our. It's the sport program, right? Yeah, that's sport. Kinda, that's exactly what we run. Was that? Um, did you kind of start that at? We Growth did. Sport? Yeah, Growth yeah. Sport, the sport program. So, we developed this, recognizing that we need this. When I was doing this consulting, I had worked with a hundred or so of the Fortune 500 companies, and we realized that that execution was the thing that really made the difference. Strategy, it's important, but everybody's thinking about strategy. It's like ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's really the execution against those ideas that matter. So we put that whole program of sport in place to help organizations execute. Yeah, that makes total sense. How is how, how is kind of leading growth sport different than leading the Idea Center? And how did your That's ha, a great has question. your leadership style developed over time through that transition? Or yeah, and I'd say that I've learned now that leading any organization, whether it's nonprofit, profit, whatever, is very similar. Leadership isn't about me telling you what to do. Leadership is about me painting a vision, (coughs) helping you identify what you want to do to help us get there, and then me holding you accountable to what you want to do, right? And so I learned that throughout this process. I've encapsulated that into sport, but I would say that's true for whatever organization you're running. Yeah, that totally makes sense. What was running growth sport like? I know VC is sort of this like enigmatic area where, you know, especially in Notre Dame, because Notre Dame is, is, you know... VC is very exciting. It's very interesting. I, know, I have a lot of friends who are interested in doing it. Yeah. But you know, especially maybe in the Midwest or, or among the types of kids that come to Notre Dame, something I've talked about on podcasts a lot is that when kids come to Notre Dame, sometimes it feels like you're sort of pushed to, you know, you either go into engineering or consulting or finance, and, and yeah. that's kind of it. Like it's limited. Sure. But there are these entrepreneurial paths you can oh take. Oh my gosh! Yes. And that's kind of. That's kind of the function of the Idea Center is, that's is right. giving kids permission to do entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, going back to your earlier question about venture capital, um, we do venture capital very differently at the Idea Center than is done anywhere else because we really, we're de-risking these technologies and we're investing in the stages of that de-risking. Most venture capital companies want to invest in a company at a certain stage looking forward to its potential, which we do as well. But we also look and say, the, the potential we're looking at next is what's the next milestone? And we want to invest in that. 
And when I was at Growth Sport, we were only investing in companies that were going through the sport process. So we were investing in companies that we felt had a real chance to execute against their goals because that's where they would win. I mean, I'll give you some examples. We worked with Verizon one time and they were trying to get to a mean time to, excuse me, mean time to repair number. They'd been trying to hit a certain number for 15 years and hadn't gotten there. Yeah. We went in and put the process in place and they hit it in nine months. Wow. So for us, it was like, man, when you run process, you get things done that nobody else gets done. Yeah. So that's how you know we get 30 startups done is we run process. So we were just investing in companies that would run the process. The same is true at the Idea Center. We only invest in companies that run our engine and sport process because we want companies that are de-risked and know how to execute. And if we can do that, and by the way, it doesn't have to end up in a startup. It could also end up in just a license, but that's how we know they're going to be successful. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, how is kind of coming to Notre Dame? I know like something that's um, I, I actually found when I came to Notre Dame is that so many people have this tie to Notre Dame, whether it's through family or yeah. whether they, they're alumni or something <laughs> like that. And you don't have that. No, I don't. And yet, you know, you're... You're on, um, you know, the the you're a provost. You have uh-huh. these, you know, this this huge impact on the university. What's it been like, sort of being someone without that background tied to Notre Dame coming into this community? Because it is so unique. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a. It's a great question. It's different. I think again, there are there are pros and cons. Uh, there are things I add, and probably things that drive people crazy. But um, but yeah, I have no ties to the university before I got here. And if we're going to be really honest with each other. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Notre Dame. Right? Really? Oh no! I mean, you know, Notre Dame is like the Yankees to me. I mean, that's they're, true. they're easy to hate. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, if you don't fair. go here, you're like, oh my gosh, they have the NBC contract, they have right. all the facilities, yeah. they get all the money. They, they're they're unfair advantaged, <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. so you know you root against them. But but I got to tell you, I drank the Kool Aid pretty quickly. I mean, this is a this is a special place. And when I got here, uh, it was really the mission that drew me here to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that, the, the chance to come and do commercialization is great, but the chance to do commercialization in an environment that could then be taken and really change the world by applying it in various places, that's exciting. And so for me, it was all about that that, that was really interesting. And, and then, you know, wow, how hard is it to become a Notre Dame football fan? Well, it's not when you're here. I've drunk right. the Kool-Aid. I'm all in, yeah, right? But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it is true that I still run into times when people will say to me things like, wow, did you really just say that? Or did you really just do that? That's not mm. how we do things here at Notre Dame, right? Or that's not that's not how we think here at Notre Dame. And, and, and sometimes I say, oh my gosh, you're right. I should think more like that, right? But there are other times where I say, hmm, maybe you guys should think more like I'm thinking. And, yeah. uh, and I think that the Idea Center has had a, a real impact on the rest of the Notre Dame campus and family in a positive way. Things around like failing forward and and taking risks and starting new ventures and trying new things. I think all of that's really positive. But I also think that I've been impacted and the Idea Center has been impacted by the things that you would expect that are so great at Notre Dame. Tradition, you know, um, ethics, uh, long-standing relationships, family connections and ties, the way we take care of each other, you know, the the mission itself and how that drives the way we think about things. So I think that's been positive. I hope that the Idea Center can continue to influence the rest of the university in really positive ways. 
And I hope the university continues to influence us as part of the university in really positive ways. Yeah, absolutely. That makes that makes total sense. And that's, you know, as a student, I was in a similar boat. Even my job this summer, I remember talking to people who were kind of in charge of hiring some of the interns. And they were basically saying, you know, we love hiring Notre Dame kids because we, we genuinely believe you guys have sort of this ethical and yeah. moral code that is instilled in you from freshman year on. I that's mean, right. we, we go through the Moreau program. In Mendoza, we have to take business ethics, and some people will kind of scoff at that and say, "Oh, well, it's it's a you know it's a one credit class. Who cares?" But I think it makes a difference. No, I, I think too. I think especially in the world we live in today, that's so interconnected and technology. Just talking over. about it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Just just making it clear that it's important yeah. to do the right thing and, and doing holistic of... education. Right, where uh, there are very few places. In fact, I only know of one other place is BYU, but Notre Dame that you could go and get a holistic education that includes a spiritual component. Absolutely. So you can get holistic about this, and you can talk about these things. Right. I mean, when you say I'm going to do an ethical education, how do you do that without a spiritual component? Right. Or other. I don't know how you go to a secular university and talk about ethics without talking about all of the other components that go into that, right? Where do you get taught how to be ethical? Well, it's in your religion 99% yeah. of the yeah, time. for sure. If you've cut that out of your life, how do you have that conversation? Right. That's so exactly I right. think that there's a very unique opportunity for a university like Notre Dame. I love the way Father John says it when he says, lots of universities with religion in their charter, very few with religion in their character. Isn't that awesome? I've actually never heard that. Yeah, that's an awesome statement. That is awesome. Man, that's really cool. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's it's really cool that you kind of get that that sort of access that you're like around yeah, yeah. some of those people who who really make this place what yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, awesome. And the the upper leadership of this university is just tremendous. Yeah. Just tremendous. Uh, I I am so impressed with who they are as people, their skills, the way they work together. I've never been involved in an organization that has better leadership. Yeah. Something I wanted to ask you about, I, I did a podcast with Brock Gallagher last week who runs Extudia, yeah. one of the Idea Center startups, and we were talking about kind of how hard it is to, to teach entrepreneurship. Yeah. He was talking about how when he was first starting Extudia, he, he had to go around different dorms and just talk to like 500 random kids he'd never met and say, hey, can I store your stuff over the summer? Yeah, right. And that's like, a, you know, a lot of kids slam the door, the door in your yeah, face. Yeah, a lot yeah. of kids are like, you know, get out of here. It takes a lot of... I guess guts to do that, and yeah. so it's hard to teach someone entrepreneurship and what it takes to do that. What are your thoughts on how you can take a student who's interested in entrepreneurship and kind of instill those those values into their character that make them successful at, at kind of going out and trying something and failing forward, like you said? Yeah, that's another great question. I, I think this is a very complex answer, mm -hmm. really. Um, I think you can teach a lot of entrepreneurship. I think you can you can talk a lot about the different capacities, characteristics, traits, skills that you need to be an entrepreneur. Whether the person can flip the switch or not, I don't think you can ever tell ex ante. I think that it almost has to be in the moment to decide. But I think this is also why successful entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes and all different characteristics, all different um, personalities. I mean, you know, you'll have outspoken, soft-spoken, extroverts, introverts, all, they come in all different areas, but there are certain things to your point, and you identified a few of them that the best have, right? They're resilient as all get out. Yeah. It's very hard to tell them no. They are scrappy. It's like, you, I'll figure it out, right? Um, they, they can marry intellectual quotient with emotional quotient. In other words, they know how to talk to people, and they also know how to do things. Um, 
And, and so some of these things, and even those things you can teach to some degree if someone's willing. This is my fourth component. They're just humble. They want to learn. They can be taught. Uh, I get a lot of entrepreneurs who early on, they think they know everything. They're not willing to listen. I, I can almost guarantee failure 100% of the time for those people. But, but to get someone who's humble and resilient, you know, listener and scrappy, intense and open, oh my gosh, you know, those people are amazing. Yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah. I was I was reading your bio and something that kind of stuck out to me as unique is you you you're fluent in Thai. Yeah. <laughs> and you at Michigan State you you were you know kind of um, integral in the Center for Asian Studies I yeah. believe it was. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Like how did that oh, come yeah. to be? Yeah. It's... So um, after my fresh first freshman semester, I got a mission call in my church to go to Thailand for two years. Mm -hmm. So I learned to speak Thai. Uh, I learned to read and write Thai, and I lived in Thailand. Really loved it over there. Loved the people. Um, you know, spent two years talking to the Thais, uh, doing humanitarian work, doing proselyting work. Um, just loved Thailand. And so came back from there, and that was one of those pivotal points in my life where I'm like, this will always be a part of my life somehow, right? Yeah. So, so when I went back to do my PhD, it was only natural that I go back and do a, a PhD in, in political economy in Southeast Asia. So I did hard disk drives in Southeast Asia. I compared Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand. Wow. And so we lived in Singapore, lived in Malaysia, lived in Thailand. And it was all about that industry. So I married my high tech with my Asian experience wow. uh, and, and then just really wanted and, and you know was interested in how these companies were formed and grew and progressed. And I was really interested in how companies and then countries transformed technologically over time, mm. uh, which, which really kind of helped drive you know, my intellectual interests. Yeah. So that's how I speak Thai. Wow, that's really <laughs> cool. And you, are you, it said, are you, um, there, there are your, yeah, several other Asian languages? Yeah, so I speak like... Greenwright Laotian, which is similar to Thai. It's kind of like doing Spanish and French. You know, yeah. or Spanish and Italian. Okay. Uh, so they're they're related, different, but but I do that as well. And and I know enough Chinese to get into trouble on a dark night. And uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, I can say washu jung wen bu hao. You know, and I can, yeah, so I know enough Chinese to have a little bit of a rudimentary conversation. Uh, but uh, uh, but I love Asia, love the people, uh, love international cultures in general. Just got back from São Paulo and. Uh, Really found that to be a fascinating place as well. So I love international cultures. Is there is there a city that um, maybe besides like a South besides East, Bangkok? Besides, yeah, besides yeah, besides, <laughs> yeah, besides Bangkok, a city that if you know you're you're a, a person who's never really been outside the U.S. Oh where do you think goodness. you'd go? What's like oh what's like goodness. what's like your main? Okay, so I got to put it this way: if you want ease of entry, mm -hmm. uh, like it's easy to get in and and think it's cool, but not have it be too overwhelming, I'd go to Singapore. Okay. Uh, you know, beautiful, clean, exotic, lots of cool things to do. Singapore's a great town, right? But if you're one of those people that's like, man, I want to get my, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to get in and yeah. really have an experience, right? I think I'm headed to Mexico City really? or uh, you know Beijing yeah. or uh, okay. Hong Kong is fascinating. You know, really yeah. interesting place. So. And uh, I, you know, one of I, I'm underexplored in Africa. I'm really mm. excited to get to Africa and 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 see what life is like there. But yeah, uh, yeah just some ideas. I love I love Paris, but you know, Paris is I just go for the food. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that that totally makes sense. <laughs>
I want to do like a kind of like a quasi lightning round sure. kind of thing, like just yeah, yeah. quick, quick hitting questions. So, if you were gonna gift a book to somebody, like yeah. maybe not a book that, um, maybe not like I don't want the favorite book questions kind of like no kind of tricky. No, I know already. What you're I gonna give, give someone yeah. a book? Yeah, it's two. Okay, I'm gonna gift them mindset mm-hmm. and grit. Uh, if you haven't read both of those books, they're life changing books. They're related. They're connected. The researchers know each other, uh, but. Um, Amazing books. I'm gifting those to. Yeah, In fact, I, I did to all of my kids. Really? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. If you could have dinner with one living person, who would hmm. it be? If I could have dinner with one living person, uh, I'm having dinner with Tim Cook at Apple. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him about his experience with Steve Jobs and how his life is different now that he's running that company. Uh, and, and and just have a discussion with him from the perspective of the past to the future of a company the size of Apple. I think it'd be fascinating. Yeah, it must be it must be unbelievable to to run something like that to kind of be at the helm. Yeah. Of something like that. Yeah. It's pretty, especially with how many employees they have. Oh yeah, just unbelievable, right? Trillion dollar company. What's next? I feel like you must almost try and not think about that kind of thing. Like how many employees you have, how big you are. You just think of what's, what's I'd love right to try to get inside it. his head and be fascinating. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Is there a um, like a quote that sticks out in your head that you kind of return to? I know it's kind of a – not everyone has one. But is there some quote that you heard sometime down the line that you think maybe changed your perspective or that you think about? Yeah, no. I, 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 I say this one a lot, um, and I think it has real impact for us. I've realized that most of life is path dependent. It's not that we don't have choice, but that a lot of the choices we make are made within a context that builds on what's happened to us in the past. Mm -hmm. So the old Chinese adage of when is the best time to plant a tree 50 years ago, right? Then when's the next best time to plant a tree today? I think is really interesting for the work that I'm in right now. And, and frankly, for all of our lives. I get people who will say things like this to me. Yeah, I thought I'd go back to graduate school, but I'm too old. I'm like, well, when's the best time to plant a tree? Yeah, maybe you should have gone to graduate school 10 years ago. But those 10 years have passed. And you're going to be seven years older anyway in seven years. Right. So what's stopping you? Go now. So the same thing is true right now. You're like Some people might say, well, why would you build a fund? Or why would you, you know, build these companies? You're not going to see the results for 10 years. I'm going to be 10 years older anyway, right? So why wouldn't I start it today? You might as well dig in and get started, not procrastinate. So I love that. Yeah, man, that was a good answer on the fly. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies, anything that you like, you've always liked to do kind of outside of work? I have two big ones. I love to ski and I love to fly fish. Got the the shirt on. I got saw the, the fly the fish. Keep yeah, keeping it cool. real. Yes, yeah, yeah. keeping my fishing shirt. That's good stuff. I love to fly fish. I uh, found some good rivers around here. Even um, there's some blue ribbon blue ribbon trout streams around here, and um, and I love to ski. That's awesome. Yeah. My last question I wanted to ask you before we go: What's your vision for the future of the Idea Center? Is it just kind of, you know, stay the course, business as usual, keep working on what we've been working on for so long? Or do you have, you know, what's in the cards? What do you, what do you think about when you think of the kind of your, your dreams for this place? I, my dreams actually for this place extend way beyond this place. Uh, and they extend to the university as a whole and to this community. I, I, what I really want is I want this to be a go-to location where people like you, when you get done, say, you know, oh, I got a job offer in New York. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm super excited. I got a job offer in, in South Bend, and I'm sticking around. Right? Yeah. I mean, right now that sounds almost funny. You know, I mean, you, you're, you're, if you got a job offer in New York and South Bend, you're not sticking around in South Bend, probably. Right. But I think in ten years that might be different. I'd love to see this be that kind of place that is so cool, so hip, so innovative, so many things going on that when people come to Notre Dame to go to school, when they land here, they, they're coming with an idea that, hey, I'd really love to stick around here. There's so many cool things happening here. And it doesn't mean that we have to be Silicon Valley, right? I mean, this could be, this could be you know, Provo, Utah, Ann Arbor, Austin, Texas, yeah. Um, Boulder, Colorado, exactly. you know, just cool places that people people your age are like, man, I, this is where I want to be. Stuff is happening here. This is where it's cool. And Notre Dame is right in the middle of that. So that that whole Stanford, Palo Alto is kind of like that's that Notre Dame South Bend. People want to go there. There's cool stuff happening. And if we can be part of the reason that that took place, that's cool. That's what I, I want to see happen. That's awesome. It's really good to hear. I love it when people have these like huge goals and they're they're reaching for them. And I, I don't think it's so far off. I really no, don't. I don't I mean, either. People would have said the same thing about like Austin, Texas. Yeah, or, well, I was there when it was a cow town. Yeah. I mean, really a cow town. Believe me, I was in Provo, Utah when there was nothing there, right? I my, mean, yeah. My my roommate, uh, like at school right now, he's from Southern California and he got a job offer in Austin. He's never been there and he just took it. And he was like, I've heard Austin's cool. That's right. It is cool. Why not? It's a super you know? cool place, it but it wasn't always. Right, exactly. 20 years ago, the place was a, it was a little hole in the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could, it could, I could totally see you for South Bend. I can too. Awesome. Got a lot going for us. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come. I'm so happy to do really it. Thanks for it. inviting me to do it. It's yeah. super fun. This is awesome. Anytime. All right. All right. So that was Brian Ritchie. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I thought it was a really cool conversation and um, just, just really cool to be able to have Brian on the podcast, especially so early in kind of in this podcast's um, life cycle. Lately, I've been getting some some really positive feedback about the podcast, and it means a lot to me that people take the time to listen to it and, and actually get something out of it. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Um, please rate, subscribe on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it.